Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 355th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's happy to be the prologue to every good decision you make in pursuit of the perfect collection. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Derek the Dark Mage at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. I am looking forward to this podcast because as of today, I am officially off for the next two weeks for the holidays in the U.S. Oh, yeah. So I am I'm ready to sort some magic cards and get a new shipment into TCG sort because that's how I like to spend my holidays. But <laughs> <laughs> be, before we jump in, I do want to remind listeners that the show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what do we have on the agenda this week? First things, we're going to kick things off with the segment one, the MTGO metagame week in review. After that, we're going to move on to segment two, where we talk about the top movers of this week and discuss why we think these cards saw significant gains. After that, we're on to segment three, where we talk about our cards to watch, where we'll both share our key insights on those cards we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, we'll move on to segment four, our topics of the week. And this week, we're going to talk about March of the Machines, a very interesting new upcoming set that's a little bit different. Uh, So we'll get into that a little later. So with that out of the way, why don't we jump into our first segment, the MTGO Metagame Week in Review. Over in this modern challenge, we had a fairly standard-looking top eight other than this deck that won uh, the whole thing. We had Bant Hammer in second, Blue Red Murktide in third, Four Color Rhinos in fourth, featuring Four Cyan of Draco. We had Jund Saga with Gigantha in fifth, and Blue Red Prowess with Gigantha in sixth. Blue Red Murktide in seventh, and Black Green Yogmoth combo in eighth. This first place deck, though... Basically Jun Saga, but they're trading out all the Fatal Pushes and Thought Seizes and the like for Ledger Shredders and a, an assortment of cheap counter spells to make a Teamer Saga list, the likes of which I do not remember seeing before. I have not either. It still seems like mid-rangey Jund that spiked a tournament one day and we probably won't see again, but... You know, it's got all the good cards, right? You got Ren and Six and Expressive Iteration and Ledger Shredder and Ragavan and all these uh, broken things. Yeah, the Expressive Iterations I missed as one of the mm-hmm. upgrades. Uh, the Jund side doesn't really have a card selection component yeah. uh, of of the type that Expressive provides. They are, in fact, le- leveraging three Ledger Shredder, one Spell Pierce, one Spell Snare, and three Mana Leak. When was the last time you saw a Mana Leak deck? in modern yeah it's been a long time i don't think blue i don't think blue white control runs mana leak these days oh no i mean they have counter spell that's that's what they run that replace mana leak altogether but here the double blue is is more challenging which is why they had to resort to mana leak i'm sure right before we jump to pioneer i do want to flag two of the murktide lists now are just running two copies of 
Oh, I can't. Underworld Breach, which we've seen in some of the more combo-y builds. But now they're just throwing it into the main board just to have value. There's no combo here. It's just, they're just throwing it in, which I thought was interesting. And I think that aligns with some of the price movements that we've been seeing with Underworld Breach just continue to climb slowly but surely over time. The thing that is especially curious to me is that I wouldn't automatically assume that Merktide Regent wants to be played alongside Underworld Breach because they both want to swallow cards from the graveyard. And yes. it seems like they would compete for that resource. And I think they do to an extent, which is why uh, one of these plays at least just two Merktide, where usually you see um, a full set of four. Let me look at the other one. And then the other one is a more red build. So it's it's got Dragon Rage Chandler, Third Pass Iconoclast, Soulscar Mage, Monastery Swift Spear, bunch of one mana and free boost and, and burn spells, Mistress Bobble, and then again, Underworld Breach just thrown in. And so they're just their plan is to kill you really fast, and if they don't, the Underworld Breach hopefully gets them that little bit to go over the edge to kill you if they didn't have the reach the first time. So different approaches, but both just jamming a couple Underworld Breach's value cards, which I thought was interesting. Over in the Pioneer Challenge on the Sunday, we had Lotus Field Combo in second, Bant Spirits in third and fourth, Blue-Red Arclight featuring some more Ledger Shredders alongside the four Arclight Phoenixes that are the default in uh, that archetype. Sixth and seventh were both Green-Red Midrange decks with Essica's Chariot and Sky Sovereigns and the like, both cards that have been doing a lot of work for me in the Arena Cube this week as well. And then Lotus Field Combo uh, in eighth, as well as being in that second place. And again, it was a teamer list that topped first place here. And this time it was Teamer Creativity, another variant on the creativity list that I do not recall seeing before. Yeah, I mean, it's similar shell that we've seen in the past with the creativity list, but definitely a little different. You know, it's got a little spice to it. They're running, let's see, it's four Indomitable Creativity, inevitably, because that's kind of what those decks do. What are they getting from the blue side here? Shark Typhoon, they're getting two Negate, two Make Disappear. That's straight to New Capenna. Uh, four Impulse, four Secrets of the Key, which is a card I didn't even know existed. It's one blue for an instant that investigates, and if the spell was cast from a graveyard, you investigate twice, which is a flashback cost of four. And that seems to be the deal. It looks awful. <laughs> it clearly did fine, but it just looks terrible. And I'm assuming some of this you're jamming into your graveyard, like the um, Seekers of the Key you're throwing in with uh, presumably a Fable of Mirror Breaker, and then you're just um, using it as a, for a flashback for value. That would be my guess. You get to use Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Shark Typhoon to create these tokens that you're trying to turn into a World Spine Worm or Xenagos God of Revels, or potentially both. Because if it's both, then the World Spine attacks as a 30-30. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it just seems like there should be better builds of this, right? I mean, Dino Creativity is very good. Um, it's just a matter of what shell you put it into. But this is just a bunch of draft shaft chaff that you you just jammed in a deck and it it's working out because your main spell's good and you have Fable the Mirror Breaker, which is broken. Willing to bet this is the first and last time this season we see teamer lists at the top of the top eights on both Pioneer and Modern. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. All right, uh, moving on over to the top paper movers of the week. Uh, 
not a super busy week overall. We've got Goblin Engineer at a time spiral uh, remastered going 9 to 11. That's only 22% gains, but it's notable because people thought that this spec was dead as a doornail after it caught a double reprint in fairly short order in both Time Spiral Remastered and I believe MH2 as retro etched foils. The thing is, there's been so many artifact decks getting built this fall based on the themes from Brothers War and Dominaria that a lot of the artifact-related cards have been making decent progress, and I've certainly sold some foil goblin engineers and buy-listed some regular goblin engineers relatively easily. Yeah, it was Modern Horizons foil etched, which means it's MH2, uh, CB only included for right. the goblin engineers. And then the Time Spiral Remastered foils are currently at... have gone from, in the last year, they were as low as... $4 and are currently sitting at 16 market price on TCG Player with just 12 listings left. Yep, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. I think those will still continue to climb until they get a reprint. And this is one that, I mean, I know you called, what, it was it three years ago now? And I think it would have done really well, honestly, if um, just in general, if it didn't get reprinted twice in three years. Um, be curious to see if it's on there, like, in that list that, you know, gets reprinted to death, but the basic version I've been selling for solid, you know, six, seven bucks all day. So it, with that having a pretty strong basic uh, cost, the foil multiplier is pretty solid. Time Spiral Remastered Foils, so foil version of the card we just mentioned, got down to 15 or 16 in midsummer this year, about a year and a half after the reprint in Time Spiral Remastered, and have since climbed up towards 18. We're down to just 14 listings of those first cheapest listing is closer to 20 in fact so these could well e very easily be over 30 in in short order and people that got caught holding will do just fine <laughs> yep that's actually a very reasonable return in the timeline yep and if you started high you're still getting punished i think at, at their peak at the start of times by remaster they were 40 or so uh, i tried to show a little higher but probably get them around 40 so you're still below but you know, another year from now, he might be back to even if you, you started that high. Hopefully no one was buying buying in at that point. Yeah, personal copies maybe. but Braids Arisen Nightmare, 350 to 5. This is just regular copies on the back of Strong Standard and EDH Play. I've also played plenty of it in Cube this week. In those strategies with lots of spare tokens, it does a lot of work. Kind of card that in Commander works very well with themes where you have lots of tokens, but is also just a solid card in general because you can at de by default you can sack a land and if people don't choose to go along with you you're going to draw cards and they're going to lose life so very solid mid-rangey black card that just tends to create cumulative value as it sits on the table and it's not quite the threat that is going to draw point removal especially in commander so i suspect that it is going to continue to gain value slowly but surely over time We've also got Cyberdrive Awakener, which is a uh, Neon Dynasty Commander card going $4.25 to $6 or so. Only about 41% gains, but this is, seems like the kind of trajectory that could end up being an $8 to $10 plus card. It's really good in EDH artifact decks, and there's been plenty of that getting built with Urza being one of the most popular commanders lately. Underworld Breach continues its charge upwards from Theros Beyond Death, 11 to 16 on regular copies, and Foils from... 
that set, not extended art and foil extended art, but just regular and foil. The foil's going 12 to 32 on the back of strong EDH Pioneer and experimental modern play that seems to be taking hold. Very, very powerful card. As we talked about in those top eight lists, it's popping up here and there. Go figure that a cheaper red Yawgmoth's Will would see play. Right. Well, this is three years old now, too, which it doesn't feel like it, right? It feels like, well, three years without a reprint is a is a pretty solid timeline. And, you know, I think for, for those things that we're not seeing reprints of, this is, we're going to see more and more of this. It's just that with more reprints happening these days and challenger decks and things like that, um, you know, I think this is somewhat lucky that it didn't get hit. And maybe that's partly just because it was so broken in the older formats and took a while to catch on the newer formats that they think they needed to. I'm not sure, but I'm glad to see it getting gains. Certainly wasn't as respected along the way as it probably should have been. And it has me wondering about Gaia's will that modern horizons card that has suspend four, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken, and then lets you cast a bunch of stuff. Suspend is a little trickier. You gotta, you gotta have a way to get those counters off faster to really make it do work for you. Yeah, I mean, that that's a card I think everyone was excited about. It hasn't really done anything, but it's pen cost for one. Be able to play it maybe with a uh, flashback card, throw it in your graveyard and play it at will. Might get there, get there sometime, but I won't be won't be spending money on it anytime soon. I mean, Shardless Agent of the Light can cast it for free. We just haven't really seen anybody find reason to be doing so. Yeah, but you have to build your deck around it, so it's only hitting that target, which is problematic you know i mean obviously you can do it like we see crashing footballs make it worthwhile but you don't want to do that you're forced into doing that well if you're trying to get two rhinos on the table you don't want to hit that instead necessarily right so that, exactly that's, that's a key key conflict point rat colony foils at a dominant dominaria going four to seven that's going to be rat hype based on the bundle all will be one bundle card the new rat lord that was revealed Similarly, we had infected vermin foils out of Odyssey go 250 to 6, although that one I don't understand at all because that card doesn't seem to interact all that well with the toxic uh, mechanic. We've got mana barbs out of M10 foils going from 3 to $6. That's going to be Gearson driving that uh, and auto-include in that deck. I certainly run a copy. I was in the market for a beta copy if you're listening and have one on hand. Propaganda, the secret layer coin flip foils going 20 to 40. That's going to be tar- low supply targeting of a EDH super staple. Uh, you know, players picking up copies and the price motion being relatively brisk leads to speculators and vendors snapping off copies, assuming that it will drift higher. They are a good looking card. And I found in, in EDH repeatedly that you should almost always find a slot for propaganda or the white version of the card whose name is escaping right. me currently but i run all the time it's just that all the decks yeah <laughs> yeah just that taxing effect on attacking you there's there's so many times in an edh game where someone is just looking to attack they they don't care who they attack they're looking for an excuse to attack someone specific and usually it means they don't have blockers or it's going to be expensive to attack a specific person and the cards that tax the attacking action are very very effective as a result and so these are going to be staples forever and wizards also doesn't seem particularly interested in printing a bunch of alternatives to this because i think they know that that will gum up the format you don't want to have 10 alternate versions of propaganda in the way that they have 30 alternate clone cards because clone cards you kind of pick the one that makes sense for the themes of your deck but 
you you wouldn't want the format to have five versions of Dockside Extortionist and 20 versions of Propaganda because things get silly in a hurry. Yep. Uh, Ghostly Prism is the white version. Uh, Thank just you. Just for reference. And I'm looking at the sales, it looks like the highest actual sold right now is 27. So obviously 40 is higher, but um, it, it is interesting with these secret layers. Yeah, you see the right now there's only 11 vendors. It's like 30, 35, 40, but one of the vendors at 40 has 41 copies because I'm sure they bought a bunch of them. They just list them in bulk, and here we are. So it's one of the things where those type of walls, you see those, you know inevitably somebody's going to start dragging down when they're competing with somebody with 40 copies. So this will and, definitely float back down. And of note, the decks themselves have far more listings than this card. There's 47 listings with a whole bunch of inventory for the decks, stretching sure. from 175 or so up into the mid-200s and above. And that just signals that they're, those people who are holding that inventory have not deigned to crack it yet. So they're not sending their singles inventory into direct yet because they're having... I don't know if the math suggests that that should be being done at present for this. I haven't looked at that closely as of late, but... Sometimes people that are holding sealed inventory and have it posted for sale just forget that that's an option that they could just, as has been very successful for some pro traders with the 40K products, right? Um, breaking them down to singles and sending them in for sale. Yeah, and this is up, uh, I mean, just to belabor the point a little more, this deck it, uh, at one point dropped, I was watching it because I have 24 of them, um, it's 28, and they're still sitting next to me and they're not even listed, uh, but... They dropped to 145 at one point, and I was like, oh, man, did I, you know, am I going to break even at best? And they initially were down that for the first few days when people were getting them all. Now they've bounced back up to 180 for the sealed, which obviously if you can get that, that's a pretty solid return on a $100 plus tax investment. Um, so, and I was surprised to see, I was just looking at best-selling secret layer products on TCG right now. And right now, Heads I Win, Tails You Lose is the number one on there, which is probably partly due to its price point, but also clearly it must be selling a, a decent clip to be topping that list. Simeon Spirit Guide is a foil common out of Time Spiral Remastered, which apparently has gone from 9 to 18 in foils, worth flagging that the only other foils of this card that exist have been printed in M25 and the original in Planar Chaos. The M25 foils go for just under $4. How deep is the inventory on those? About 25 listings. And I suppose people may, might prefer the Time Spiral remastered art uh, as being uh, a little more sexy. We've also got the top gainer of the week is their name is Death Surge Foil. This is destroys all non-artifact creatures, if I'm not mistaken. And foils, in theory, went from 3 to $40. This is just one of many Surge Foils that we've seen targeted this fall as people have realized that while the regular 40k decks are indeed seeing a reprint and are being redistributed through distribution to vendors as we speak, there are there is no sign that the Foil Surge decks are getting a reprint. It looks like Wizards will respect those in the same way that they generally do with the, the Collector Boosters, where there is one printing, which could be small, medium, or large, and then they just let that filter through the market for as long as it takes. And as a result, people are going after any and all of the surge foils that seem like they will be in demand down the road. I am not happy right now because I just had my uh, <clears throat> 10 
copies of the Commander 40k decks in premium get canceled by Amazon. I, I I actually I screwed this up twice. First off, I screwed up because I had thirty in thirty uh, premium ordered, you know, ages ago. I got you know, I was kind of debating. I decided to lower my limit, so then I or put in an, an order of ten instead. Which first tip, put in multiple orders of smaller amounts so you can cancel them along the way if you want. So I screwed up the first time, and then secondly, because I ordered so late, I think I was late on the list, which is why I got canceled in the end. So. Could have had 30 of them right off the bat because I ordered so early. I got zero. Not happy about that one. Really underscores the point that the situation with Amazon is not quite as simplistic as people believe it is. They don't just automatically have all the inventory. And sometimes there are, you know, inventory is present in other parts of the marketplace and not with Amazon. Or Amazon has uh, much higher prices. I saw. I, I was trying to shut down a conversation that was taking place on Twitter earlier this week, where some, I don't know, it was a YouTube personality or somebody else with a reasonable amount of followers was saying how Amazon's dumping of quote unquote of Dominaria United product CBs in particular was killing LGSs months after the initial sales period. And I was trying to point out <laughs> the simple logic that the part of the sales period that matters most is pre-orders through about four weeks after release, because that's when the vast majority of any given Magic release sells. There's trailing sales and demand after that, but what really matters is how does the product sell and does it need to be discounted in the sales period. And with something like the 30th Anniversary Edition, we know that they yanked that sale because it was doing so poorly. With something like Dominaria United, all the vendors I talked to said it sold extremely well for them during pre-order season, that they got sky-high prices on relevant mythics in the set well into several weeks after release. We had flagged that on cast, looking at it. And when we look at something like Phyrexia All Will Be One, Amazon has sky-high pricing right now on the collector boosters, which is some of the worst pricing in the marketplace. So... That picture is not quite as simple as people th- seem to think it is. And while Amazon has, at certain points, had the best pricing on things, you know, in, within ProTrader, we've usually been able to beat it. There are some other vendors that can often beat it. Sometimes it gets beat in Europe. Sometimes, depending on what it is, it might get beat in APAC region. And as you found out, the orders on Amazon are not necessarily sacrosanct. So more to consider there than, than people are, are giving the topic credit for. Right. And I mean, generally, I think one of the good things about Amazon is you can cancel up until pretty close to release date. And so it's one of those things where it's a low risk play. You can always put in your order, cancel later, as long as you remember. Um, And so generally speaking, I think it's a good practice to try to do that early on, lock in an early price. You'll always get the lower price if it goes down. You'll have the low price if it goes up. And so it's a pretty low risk way to hedge your bets. Um, But that said... It's as you said, there there are complications. Amazon's not perfect. There's a lot of horror stories, too. But generally speaking, it's, it's good to lock in that early uh, option because it's a relatively free one to do so. One of the other things people have been talking about on Amazon orders is that sometimes that discounted product is just stolen inventory or scam driven inventory. Like people said that they ordered Neon Dynasty cb boxes cheap this fall and just got loose cards stuffed into them and had to make returns so 
when third parties are selling through Amazon, it is not guaranteed to be real inventory and you could just be thrown, you know, waste time and effort, if not money, since you'll probably get that back. But you'll miss your opportunity because if you could have bought it somewhere else for $5 more, right? but that opportunity evaporates as you're waiting on the Amazon order to fill, it shows up and it's, you know, fraudulent junk, then you're going to have to return that and reassess. So can be very tricky. I've also got an interesting side story um, with relation to the advent calendars, because the day that those dropped, I wanted to order 10, but I had meetings that morning. So I missed the North American drop. And by the time I got around to checking in on things, the uh, somebody flagged on the Discord that the European store was a different set of inventory and was not yet sold out. So I went ahead and ordered 10 units to be shipped to a partner address in Europe. And I think it was December 2nd, Wizard sent me a tracking number that seemed to be from a logistics company in France, even though that was not the country that these were supposedly aimed at. And as the weeks have gone by since then, nothing has updated on that tracking. In fact, the tracking just shows that the package has never been picked up. So I logged my ticket with Wizards yesterday saying, hey, where's my stuff? And their customer service, I'm putting this in quotations because I don't actually know that I'm talking to a real person. Based on the back and forth, it, it seems like I might be talking to an automated chat client. I'm just not 100% sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with where AI is right now, I, I'm, I'm not certain what exactly I'm doing when I'm sending these emails into the void. But I said, okay, so you gave me a tracking number. It is never updated. Where's my package? They sent me back a thing saying, hey, it looks like your package was lost in transit. We could probably send you a replacement. And I said, but it's not lost in transit. It was never picked up. And they said, well, if you don't want your order anymore, we can cancel it for you. And I said, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) I, I want the order. I just trying to get clear to you that my package may well just be sitting in the warehouse, never having been picked up. And they said... Well, we could give you a, a one-time exemption to cancel. And I said, uh, to be crystal clear again, I do not want to cancel. <laughs> I would like you to resend my order. And they said, well, that might not happen for a little while because we have some other replacement orders going out because I'm sure I was not the only one involved in this. And there are other people who had damaged cards that they have sent in requests on, right, that are getting... I would not be surprised to hear that Wizards might have had to go back to the presses to print replacements because maybe they didn't print enough didn't have enough in the original print run to replace all the cards that were complained about because i would say it looked like maybe something like five to fifteen percent of cards were coming out of those packages damaged yeah there was a number of damages i saw pretty much across the board i think it was i think it looked like they had a dull blade on the bottom of the on many of them where there's just bad ridges there's kind of you know cutting issues and I think it's a lot of them. Sometimes with smaller scale print jobs, they're done on the smaller machines and they may not have the same level of maintenance. I have encountered this many times in the agency where, you know, if somebody does a really large print run, you tend to get on the biggest machines in the facility and they tend to be very, very well maintained. And if you are knocked down for some kind of specialty work, um, it's not uncommon to see thicker paper have a ragged cut. Hmm. Um, Anyway, to finish my story, they this goes back and forth for a while. We're, we're just running in circles because they keep not answering the question about where the original package is. And finally, they say, okay, so we can just let you, we can cancel the order and as a one-time exception, let you replace the order. 
And I said, okay, but am I replacing the order on the European site or the US site? And they said, we can only do it for the US site. <laughs> I said, yeah. well, well, that's just ideal. <laughs> nice. That was the intent. That was the original intent entirely. And now you're saving me import fees and shipping from Europe to North America. So by all means, please proceed with that process. But I need in writing a guarantee that you're not just going to cancel my order and not send me that link because then I will be well out of luck. Mm. So now I'm waiting on, oh, to hear God. back on that. I did open. So I had three. I was in a meeting during the launch as well, which was inf- and it was one of those I couldn't move. Not happy about it. And so I'm trying to give marching orders to I had, I had a number of people lined up for me. And the few that got in successfully and didn't have issues. And I mean, it was it was a pain to place an order for this. Only ordered one copy each. And I was like, I, I told you I'd give you $15 per copy that you order. Why would you not <laughs> want to max out your order? And they're like, well, I don't. I had this and I had several people tell me this. They said, well, I don't have all that money just laying around to purchase, you know, 30 copies or whatever the max was. <laughs> and I was like, then Oops. put it on a credit card. You're getting paid for this. Uh, so I, next time I'm going to I'm going to either front people money in advance or give better instructions, because clearly I failed on that regard. That said, I opened one of mine yesterday and I got a foil Necropotence and a foil Chromox. So that was very nice. Oh, that's a nice one. Two of the, two of the top five cards that yep. you could possibly pull there. So very lovely. Um, all right. So moving along here, want to tell us what happened on Magic Online? Sure. So Magic Online was actually mostly down. And that was because there was a new treasure chest formulation that came out this week. Uh, and when that happens, people crack a lot of chests trying to look for the new cards. And uh, that depresses the prices across the board for about a week or so. Uh, so we only saw a few things go up. Uh, we did see it uh, snuff out, which is uh, Mercadian's Mask played in legacy pretty broadly just have normal fluctuations from 18 to 23 similar our kind of cruelty in modern horizons 2 went from about 18 to 26 uh both for middling gains uh but then we did have one interesting one with skitter beam battalion which i had to look up the name it's a brother's war card that uh, is one of those that you can play out of the graveyard very high cost it's red um let me actually pull it up so i can give you the right facts here so it's nine normally but it has prototype two red three colorless for a two two and regardless which side you play it has trample and haste but if you play the full full nine mana cost, you get two additional token copies of it, and it's a 4-4. Four, four. So uh, this is actually being played in a standard deck that runs this alongside um, some of the other uh, Brothers War expensive cards, um, plus the new artifact, the five mana one that can kill things or Might stone and meatstone. Might stone and meatstone. Uh, so they're kind of killing things, ramping to this. They have Urza in it, and in the end um just kind of kill you with big baddies so it's kind of fun it's a standard deck so it doesn't do a lot in paper uh, but online it was able to move this card from uh, started at like 70 cents to about i think as time of recording it's about five tickets so 600 percent gain uh, so standard can move prices online it's relatively rare but it, it can do so and this is a a fun deck if you like playing tron uh, you know you might might like this because it's a bunch of eight and nine mana cost artifacts which i think is pretty cool i almost melded urza and mightstone and weakstone in the arena cube the other day and they countered the the urza oh no i'm so upset that's rough that's i've never merged either i've also never uh, merged the old the 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 flying angels that that come together oh right 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 brea uh no not brea 
Giselda. Yeah, Giselle, and I can't remember what the other one is, but because the one was yeah. playable, but and then the other one wasn't. And so it was you... very expensive, if yeah. I recall correctly. Yeah. Now, speaking of Awake in the Woods, let's move on over to cards to watch, because this is a card that is definitely on my watch list. This is the third most played card out of Brothers War in Commander Circumstances. It's in 4,600 decks already. 6% of all green decks are running it since release. It is a relatively straightforward card. For 2 green and X, you can make X 1-1 green forest dryad land creature tokens, which can... Do all sorts of crazy things. In Cube this week, I've made a gigantic tireless tracker on the back of this card. There are all sorts of lands matters implications in various decks in EDH, and it's just generally a great ramp card unless you get hit by a sweeper. This is a mythic that has been very resilient to price collapse so far uh, in the season. I'm looking at regular copies here, which started very high in pre-orders. It was in mid-40s or so got down to about $17 and has since bounced back up to 23 then down to 21 and it's currently sitting at around $22 market on TCG Player. 64 listings of this Mythic. There are not any super deep reservoirs other than I see one vendor here with 22 copies at $23.29. And everybody else is relatively short supply because the, the card is selling very, very briskly. I will not be surprised to see this card get up into the early, the low 30s or even $40 out, say, 6 to 18 months. But currently, because it is mostly an EDH card that is not seeing Pioneer or Modern play for the most, uh, except out on the fringes, you can get this over in Europe on card market at about 11 euros, which given current circumstances uh, with exchange rates is about mm, 13 or $14 USD, which is giving you a solid, like a buy list style discount off the street price of the card in North America seems like a very good entry point for a card that I expect to be in high demand and to have a very unique demand profile given that I don't think this is the, again this is not the kind of card where like propaganda or ghostly prison wizards is going to print a whole bunch of variants of because you don't want <laughs> EDH players to have six different copies of this in their deck so this is not a well I expect them to go back to very often. Yeah, so I mentioned this card, I think, during the preview of Brothers War is one of my favorites. Um, I mean, it reminds me a lot of a lot of things that do a lot of good things, right? It's mythic, it scales, you're never going to be out of the game with this. Um, it obviously has a, com a lot of combo with Landfall, which is something that people love to play, and I'm sure we'll see again soon. Can you imagine this when new Landfall decks become popular again and there's a new Omnath? I mean, I think that would really set this off. So it sounds right. It's just a matter of price. Um, so I think the European 13, I, yeah, I think the floor for this is probably 10. That would be my guess. And right now, obviously, we're a long way away from that with the buy list being 1050 at cash at Card Kingdom. Um, I'll be curious to see how these booster boxes hold up. I mean, we're seeing, you know, some of the recent sets, six months out, uh, earlier sets getting down to 100, 100. Uh, 110 130 for collector boosters i think that could really hurt if that happens here with dominary united i think that could pressure this pretty greatly so i wouldn't rush but i mean this is of all the cards of the set this seems to be the one that would over time probably do very well just because it is unique um it scales it's mythic it's green which you know good for ramp and everything so i like it all right what's your first selection this week all right, so I'm going to go with Kali of the Vast, um, which has seen two reprints now between the original Double Masters and the, the uh, Double Masters 2022, but uh, this seems to be a resilient card. The Borderless Foils 
in double masters went all the way up to 80 bucks. I remember selling a lot of them at that price. And so when yep. I saw that the etched foils were down to just 20 bucks, um, you know, and, and down to a relatively low supply, um, just a couple dozen vendors with no real walls. Yeah. And then also I looked at card kingdom buy list, uh, is 1750 cash and the current price on TCG is about 21. Uh, I thought this looked pretty good. And so I have this down as going from 21 to 40, for close to 100% gain for the etch foils of Kalia. Uh, you know, it's it's a top 13 commander. It doesn't really see much 99 or, yeah, 99 play. Um, but I think it, at that level of commander, that is enough to push something like this kind of back up. Um, the base versions, I think, are getting crushed right now. But this, with the lower supply, combined with the high um, relative price point of the other premium copies, I thought put it in a pretty good place. I'm just checking over in Europe what our options are here. It is higher, I believe, or close. Actually, no, I was checking Mana Vault, which you had called previously. That's what I checked in Europe. Let's see where it's at. Um, but speaking of Mana Vault right now, the foil extended arts are close in English as to what you had originally called them in Japanese, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the reasons that I went after when I was looking at picking off early double master singles in japan i was kind of using my benchmark as how low are these going to get in english to make sure that i'm not overpaying by getting in at this particular moment right and indeed that that's not only true of mana vault it's true of most of the double masters 2022 singles that i picked up in japan they are they were on a solid discount when I grabbed them, and the discount was low enough that as we have started to find the floors for the Double Masters 2022 singles, my prices are still solid. Yeah. But you could have also just waited four to six months and bought in at current price points, and you'd be in a very similar position. So to answer our question, I finally found it. It was weird to hard find a card market, but uh, floor is 25 euro, so... It's but in reality, higher. there's only two copies of that price. So it's actually, as you said, more expensive in Europe yeah. by a significant amount. And uh, that suggests there's just there isn't that much of the CBs that were cracked that have inventory left over in Europe. And so TCG Player will be the main reservoir for these. And yeah, it, it's a great commander. It's also a solid 99 card in certain decks. So the foil etched, I could see edging, etching, edging up over time, not etching. Uh, one of the the factors here is that the foil etched cards do not curl nearly as much, not even close to as much as regular foils or borderless foils, and so that may be a consideration for people that are in low humidity environments. My final selection here is a card that for sure was going to show up on this list at some point, and some of the pro traders, based on the reveals on the Praetor's including Shielder the Apocalypse, getting a concept art version in the forthcoming collector boosters for All Will Be One, we're thinking that these things were going to, the fancy versions of Shielder would be in trouble. I take the opposite viewpoint here. Um, there's just not enough of the two most important versions of Shieldred left lying around for them to be challenged much at all by the concept art. Not the least reason of which is I think the concept art is like third or fourth best version of the card. The foil Phyrexian Shieldreds are at about $100 to $110 currently on TCG players, but there are very low uh, amounts of inventory. I think we're looking at, let me just bring that up again. It's like 24 listings verified sellers. Foil near mint 
and just 17 listings. And nobody's got more than two copies, and in fact, almost all the listings are at one. This looks like a very steep ramp headed to 200+. Plus. And we, you and I were talking just before cast in the Discord about how we both did very poorly on the Obnixilis foil-etched showcase cards from Streets of New Capenna that looked like for a moment like they might break into modern, and then the testing just completely collapsed. And because the card didn't have uh, any EDH demand to prop it up, it's done nothing but steadily fall ever since. Really great card in SAC focused decks. I run a copy in my uh, Corvold deck, for instance, in EDH. But without that Pioneer plus modern support, that version has just fallen and fallen. The Wandering Emperor foil showcase started sky high because the Japanese versions were hundreds and hundreds of dollars in the first uh, couple of months after release and has since fallen down to a much more reasonable $100 price point. But Shieldred has a a much higher level of overall demand. The card is seen playing Standard, Pioneer, uh, all over the place in EDH. It is... A massive, massive mega staple. Just a, one of the best four casting cost creatures ever made in in Magic. And there's just very few of these Phyrexian foils left lying around. Only you know less than six months out from from release. It's not easy to crack these. You you have to open a pallet of inventory to find a handful of these. And as a result, uh, they don't seem to be under much in the way of downward price pressure. And in fact, if we look at the first six months since release, they were pre-ordering in the 150 range, got down as low as uh, about $90 uh, in early September into mid-September and have been more or less even in the low 100s ever since. But now we're looking at just 17 listings left. They are starting to dry up. They sell at a fairly brisk pace. If we look at the foil near mint sales data on TCG Player, you're seeing one or two copies sell per day. So with just 17 listings left, if there is no major buy list replenishment program, they're going to have trouble keeping pace with demand. And I suspect that these will go 100 to 150 in the next 12 months or so. So I like this more um as a non-spec personal card i think you have a hard time losing there especially when the buy list on this is 75 cash at card kingdom you know you're in pretty good shape but i saw what happened with Vorinclex monstrous raider years ago with kaldheim where we all thought it was so rare you know it is hard to pull it legitimately was but the cracking operations hit it, and it went from being rare to having a wall of 50 copies. And I think between the fact that you're going to have several premium versions, I, I worry about, you know, not not that it's going to go down per se, but you're not going to get the 150 price point to get your exit. Um, which is why I think as a personal copy, I think you're in pretty low risk, especially if you just didn't know one. But from a spec, spec standpoint, I mean, you got to hit 120, 125 to recoup your costs and shipping and fees. Um, I, I think you, I think it might struggle to hit that 150. Yeah, who knows? But I just know that Watsi's reprinting things like crazy. This hits a secret later, you know, in any sort of decent treatment or a challenger deck and lowers the base version. I do think that helps pressure some of the higher end versions as well, too. The big difference here, of course, is that almost two years later, 
Uh, Vorinclex is popular in EDH. It's in about, I think, 32,000 decks, if I'm not mistaken. About 4% of all green decks in the format. But if we look at Shieldred in EDH as a card in the 99 and not a commander, it's in 5% of all black decks and 15,000 decks so far. But there's there's another big difference. Shieldred's about 20% more popular in EDH than Vorinclex. But Vorinclex had literal zero competitive play, whereas Shieldred is a multi-format S-tier staple. And because of that, and because it seems like Wizards is very uh, likely to focus on Pioneer above Modern in the competitive scene this year, uh, given that it promotes buying new cards more effectively, just as we've always said they will tend to do in the same way that they edged out Legacy in favor of Modern, they will edge out Modern slowly over time in favor of Pioneer. And as a result, I think Shieldred is going to be more resilient than Vorinclex, who was basically on a death spiral from the get, and, and so it was Obnixilis. And it really just boils down to Shieldred having multi-format demand and the other two cards not having that. Right. So I agree with all of those factors, but I think the countervailing factors are it Vorinclex only had one premium printing. It was just the Phyrexian foil. Um, here you have the showcase, you have this, and now you have... The concept are so you have three types, and then on top of that, the fact that it is a competitive staple means that it will probably get hit for a reprint uh, in a challenger deck or elsewhere, even if it's just one copy. Um, you know, right now the the basic version of Children is fifty to sixty dollars, depending on what you're buying from. That usually I'd say the base version is disconnected from the most premium version, but here with that price being so high. I think it allows the premium versions to stay so high as well. And so I think if that gets cut down to 40, 35 with a reprinting or two, which is possible, you never know. I mean, look at Ehud Massacre. Um, but I, I think that would continue to pressure it too. So I, I, I agree with everything you said. I just think there's other factors at play here too. So just to dig dig through those those comments, the I don't believe that a Challenger deck regular frame reprint has any impact on this version whatsoever. They're different things entirely. In the same way that no matter how many times they print $1 soul rings, we can still generate $200 and $300 soul rings, mana crypts, mana vaults, etc. when they put out premium versions of them. The real competition for this Shieldred is the other versions of Shieldred um, that were already printed alongside it. The uh, foil showcase I'm on record uh, as saying is actually a nicer card. The only reason I didn't pick it here is because the supply isn't as low. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be selling as briskly overall, uh, despite my feelings about the aesthetics. The So the real competition is those versions, but also the new version that's been announced for the collector boosters for Phyrexia All Will Be One. There is a concept art version of this Shieldred being printed. We know that already. But my point is, it doesn't matter because this is the best version. This is the consensus best version, so it's going to keep going up. And the only thing that can really challenge it is your earlier point about a pallet cracking operation on the gaming company level where 50 copies get dropped at a specific anchor point and the market has to chew through those and undercut those if they want to move a copy. That, I think, is probably, you know, if that if that price point goes up at $149.99, I'm not too concerned. If it goes up at $109.99, that's a different story. Um, because that will become a price anchor that will last until those copies are chewed up. 
But I, I will also point out that you're not correct about Vorinclex. Vorinclex did have a foil showcase version. And in fact, that version got down as low as March of this year. It was down to about $48 and has since risen to 60 So uh, the amount of EDH play that Vorinclex has got. Oh, uh, that's true. Uh, it did show ha- up because ha- of TCG's terrible search. <laughs> yes. Something that we trip search. over all yeah. the time. And if we look at it, even if we look at the Phyrexian copies of Vorinclex over the last year, it was had gotten up to about 145, up from 100 in January of this year. So there was a six month window where you were up 50 bucks, which is about what I'm saying is going to happen here with Shouldered. And then it t- fell off to $100. And that's probably the 50 copies or whatever you were referencing tracking in the summertime, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And, and it has since fallen off further. But there was definitely an exit point that lasted for weeks in that $140, $150 zone. So if you hit it, don't get greedy, get out, because it may get lower later. But I think there's going to be a similar window here. This, this card is red hot. So I'm looking at Meat Hook Massacre Basic versus Meat Hook Massacre Extended Art Foil. Sure, and that's a I think a good comparison of how the base version does impact the premium. There's there in April the base version hit sixty three it looks like, and the premium at that same time was about a hundred four. The basics kind of went up and down, but now is at forty three, and the premiums down to about eighty three. And those if you look at the price charts between the two, they they seem to correlate pretty strongly. Um, and I think as time goes on and supply of the premium diminishes, I agree they separate. But that that's one example I'd point you to to say in the short term, you know, in the twelve next twelve months, sort of say that they're they are interconnectedness to an extent. Worth flagging with Meat Hook Massacre that it also caught a ban, right? But this was a trend going on prior to the ban. Sure, they yeah. there there was there was definitely downward trending from April to midsummer ish and then heading into uh the fall prior to the ban it had been trending up again yep all right uh so things to keep in mind but yeah shielded foil phyrexian looks very low inventory to me so very minimum uh card to keep your eye on uh moving on over to our weekly topic march of the machine the aftermath which has epilogue boosters but before we do that i want to just spend a second talking over an article that was posted by Emma Partlow, um, which I, who I believe is the content editor over at TCG Player uh, for TCG Player Infinite. She posted an article this week on December 19th called The Top 20 Best-Selling MTG Cards of the Year. And for the most part, this was a very reasonable list of cards that would not be unfamiliar to anybody paying attention to Magic Finance. Things like Professional Facebreaker, Dothy Voidwalker, Esper Sentinel, the Triomes from Streets of New Capanna, Neon Dynasty Lands, Swiftfoot Boots, an offer you can't refuse, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, etc. Ledger Shredder. It's, it's all cards that we know of as specs and would not at all be surprised to see on such a list. But there's one thing that shows up here that leads me to believe there is something weird with the way that they are assessing best-selling. And that is the presence of Portal Second Age Earthquake as the second best-selling card of the year. Now, to my knowledge, 
when TCG Player, whether through the filters on the main site or these articles, flags something as best-selling, they have never explained what exactly that means. Now, if it's me, best-selling should be total revenue. So total number of copies sold times the price of the said copies equals total revenue volume. And to me, that's best-selling. Now, you could make an argument that another way to go about it would be just total number of copies sold. You're not talking about how much money it's making anybody. You're just talking about the popularity of the card. And you could be looking at just that, volume of uh, copy sold. And then you can make arguments about whether it's all conditions or you're just looking at near mint or whatever. But I have a lot of trouble believing that it's either of those things if we're talking about Earthquake, Portal, Second Age. Because even if there was a buyout on this card, um, and the sales trends on TCG Player for the months that we can see don't seem to reflect that, uh, the card is not worth enough and there's no way it sells enough copies based on how many could possibly have been listed on the platform for the year that I can believe at all that it outsold things like Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Boseju, etc. Oh yeah, absolutely not. No, I, it, <laughs> it was an auto, I mean, I, I think it was mentioned in the article how awkward and out of place it was. No, no. On the, on the contrary, Emma justified it, saying the following. Making regular appearances on the bestsellers throughout the year is the portal second age printing of Earthquake. While it may seem odd for a card with numerous printings to appear in our bestsellers, you often see plenty of finance speculation crop up in these lists, and Earthquake is no exception. A small expansion released in 1998, Portal Second Age was Wizards of the Coast attempt at a simplified way for players to enter Magic the Gathering. With this, circulation has very much dried up of Portal Second Age, and cards are hard to come by, which is probably part of the reason this printing of Earthquake is seeing speculation from finance-minded players and collectors across the year. It's a trend seen with other cards from the expansion over the last few years. But here's the problem, Emma. There's no way there's enough of copies that have been posted on the site throughout the entire year that total number of copies sold or copies times price could possibly lead it to being at the top of this list. For instance, Besage or Fable the Mirror Breaker, you have to assume, have sold literal thousands of copies. And times $5 or $10 or, or $20 in the case of Besage, that means that they have that much total units sold and revenue sold that would be by any reasonable standard the best selling how what <laughs> what statistic has led to you determining that this earthquake is best selling because it doesn't add up from any level now the pro traders went to work on this when i flagged it in the discord and somebody came up with that they might be looking at copy sold versus inventory posted so um, that best selling is percentage of total copies sold so looking at something like a hundred copies of the earthquake and 95 percent of them have sold and there are only five copies currently available and so that is the best selling hmm. i mean it seems like the the starting point to anything like this would be to just basically say anything under a certain threshold just gets tossed out. Well, when also percentage of copies sold is an irrelevant statistic from this yeah. perspective. That so doesn't just, tell you best selling. That, that That's a sell-through percentage, right. which is absolutely useless in establishing best selling. Like if you want to tell me the best selling single on Spotify is Taylor Swift such and such, I'll believe you because lots of people have bad taste and that I'm sure those 
six or seven songs off the new album did more overall downloads than anybody else had and hence it's the best selling single and you just got a lot of swifties mad at you out there right now (laughs) (laughs) intentional but if the but if you told me that there's some other unknown artist who has one song posted and all of their tracks have been downloaded by the people that listen to them and therefore it's best selling then i'm going to tell you that you make no sense whatsoever so I actually posted to Emma on Twitter asking her to explain, but I haven't heard back. Maybe I'll follow up with some of their other writers over there and see if they have any input on on what exactly is going on. But it's relevant to flag because it's not just about this article. If this if best selling uh, as is available as one of the drop down options on TCG Player is using this weird skewed statistical model, then it means that looking at say a given set and setting it to best selling is not reliable. Right, right. And that's important to know. So I would very much like to get an answer to this. They don't need to give us the exact calculation because I'm I'm sure they don't want to give up any proprietary, you know, revenue or commission related figures. But a general concept of what how they're defining best selling seems necessary to even remotely address what's going on here. Because they, they also said that walking ballista was the top selling card of the whole year. And I also find it hard to believe that that's true. Yeah. I mean, it says on some of them, they have charts for various uh, sales and it does have the total number sold by day uh, or by, you know, short period, a couple day period with some of them, for example, the, let's see, Ledger Shredder. Like Ledger had, Shredder, yeah. Yeah, it had over 1,100 sales in a, you know, what a couple day period, um, which is obviously very strong. And and there's just no there's no way that yeah. the figures for p- the earthquake would even remotely approximate yeah. that. I, which I is pulled point. it for the last three months on TCG. It was about fifty copies. So you know, not times even, ten dollars or something. Right, not even close. Right, so one day of Ledger Shredder back in April would have demolished even four times that amount on the earthquake. So something's got to be wrong there. Those charts, if you haven't looked at the article, looking at some of those charts is really interesting, especially I think the, I mean, which we all know intuitively, but the, the amount of volume happening pre-release and initial set release weekend is just so much more dramatic than any other time period. Even when the prices are going up, it just shows you how much of the product is really unloaded in the first week, week and a half um, prior to an right at set launch. Uh, because the prices increases are generally happening, it looks like, after that. It's kind of like everything's getting cleared out, and then over the next couple weeks, you know, things are starting to drain. It eventually pressures the price. But, um, yeah, it's it's pretty staggering. You should look at those. Well, those and, and that's just it, right? That The Ledger Shredder graph is fascinating and does look like like very useful data because it shows how the demand peaks very early, but so does the supply. Yep. And so the demand for Ledger Shredder peaks over, as you said, a thousand copies uh, a day at one point. Is it per day? It's every two days. So over yeah, a two day like period, two days, yep. over a thousand copies in two days. And now is currently sitting at less than 50 copies a day. So you've got a something like a 20 times reduction in demand on even an S tier staple about six months out from release. But at the same time, you probably have a hundred times or f- like 25, 50 or a hundred times reduction in cracked supply where you yep. only have 
a, a handful of, of vendors such as the gaming company that are being offered pallets of product on the cheap from distributors and are willing to strike when the math adds up, when they figure they, you know, if they get distributor level pricing on a pallet of CBs, for instance, and they crack them and sell them through direct, then they still come out on top plus 6% or something. So they do that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's basically the wrap up is that, the, you know, this ledger shredder graph is fascinating, but also just suggests that the earthquake thing has to be wrong. Right. The other thing I was looking at is that a lot of these are competitive cards, which, you know, I mean, we talk so much about EDH here and competitive can be harder and things like that. But and a lot of them are a combination of both. But uh, it's very interesting to me to see how many of these competitive cards um, are on the list because, you know, we just don't see them a lot otherwise. And like I said, a lot of them are combo, but which makes perfect sense, because with something like Ledger Shredder versus something like a Vorinclex. Vorinclex is for a specific theme and specific EDH deck. So let's say you were you saw the card and you're like, I own a Traxa, I'm going to add that card. You're buying one copy of Vorinclex. But if you have Shieldred in Standard or Pioneer and you need four copies, then that automatically quads the demand. Now, if the card is Shieldred and it's good in EDH and Standard or Pioneer, and you're playing EDH and Standard or Pioneer, then you're probably not buying five copies, but you're still buying four, and one of them gets put into your EDH deck as necessary. But maybe you buy five or six. Maybe you buy the fancy one for your EDH deck, and you use the regular copies in your competitive deck. So you've bought a total of five. And that's why multi-format demand is so important. Yep. And why there's a big difference between Obnixilis, who did who failed to show up in competitive, versus Borinclex, who's been very successful in EDH, but not uh, elsewhere, and Shieldred, who's popular everywhere. All right. Well, with that, you want to move on to March of the Machines? Yeah. So March of the Machine, the Aftermath, is apparently a, a set that people were very fuzzy on because Wizards has not re- released pub like player facing details to a great extent but they did send out notes to media that got picked up and talked about online and apparently these are going to be five card booster packs and they're going to have one to three cards of rarity rare or higher and two to four uncommon cards it says it doesn't mention commons there at all so it doesn't seem like there's any commons in this set in every pack a total of one to two cards of any rarity are traditional foil There's a guaranteed foil and showcase card in every pack. And apparently, according to an article that we found on thegamer.com, they they claim details are that Aftermath will bring in a limited number of new cards as a standard level mini set and tell the story of what happens after the climatic battle in March of the Machine. So March of the Machine is the standard set that is coming out after Phyrexia All Will Be One. We have Dominaria Remastered in January. We have Phyrexia All Will Be One in mid-February. Uh, and then March of the Machine, I believe, is at the end of March. And then this would be uh, a few weeks after that this aftermath thing, which is going to be cards that are legal and standard, which also means they are legal in Pioneer and Modern and Legacy and and EDH, so they're relevant all across the board. Aftermath does not have draft boosters. It's not draftable. And this is contradictory data to some of the surmisings that were going on in the ProTrader Discord and elsewhere, where people were assuming that this was going to be more of a double feature type set where they were going to take cards from maybe Dominaria United and Phyrexia All Will Be One and Brothers War and they were going to do alternate treatments or something and repackage them again like they did with double feature. 
so far, based on this d- information shared in in these articles and the Wizards product page, I don't see any evidence that there are reprints here. Yeah, it's. I mean, we have the information presented to us. I don't see any information based on this that that kind of directly says whether or not there is or isn't. Honestly, but I mean, based on what we're reading, I, I, it seems like I lean against that there are, but it's unclear. Worth keeping an eye on, obviously, because it can affect specs like Shieldred and others from the from this year. And people were not thrilled with the double feature thing, but the double feature silver screen foils have actually done very well. <laughs> like the 40k surge foils, because of the relative scarcity, you know, where they are very low demand but also very low supply, that can also lead to price gains in the same way that super high demand and high supply can. Can yeah. lead to price gains in something like a Shieldred. So, March of the Machine aftermath. It's I, it almost feels like they're taking the cuttings off the design room floor, and they're packing them up. It's like <laughs> all the cards they choose not to include in the set. They're like, ah, we'll just we'll just boot that out the door. We've already done the work on that, and we'll commission some art for it, and away we go. So, very curious to see how this plays out. Um, but I would imagine the the collector boosters will be interesting because I don't. The one detail I do not see here is how many cards are in the set. Because the smaller the card pool in the set, you know, if there there has been between fifteen and twenty mythics in most standard sets as of late. If they go to like seven mythics on this or something, then the drop rates in the collector boosters may be a very relevant. Uh, point in assessing them as specs because if they sell a lot of those boosters and the drop rates are roughly double or triple what they would be in a regular standard set booster then there's just gonna be a lot of the fancy cards around and they may take time to drain out yeah but I the mean, yeah the opposite could also be true they could sell relatively few of these like often when they do a new product type they don't make that much of it because they're unsure about it and certainly post the 30th anniversary debacle, they're going to be a little more hesitant, I would think, with print runs this year. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, th- there will be reveals on this over the next couple months, and we will stay on top of it. Yeah, I mean, my big takeaway for this is that if you were hoping that Watsu was slowing down between this and the um, you know recent uh, whatever exhibits that they've done, I don't get any inclination that that is the case. And they've they've talked about and acknowledged, quote unquote, the concerns about having too much product or, you know, this isn't for you. And I, I think this, along with what else we're seeing, they're just going full boat ahead until things aren't working. And, you know, maybe that means t- um, toning down some of the uh, Magic 30 stuff. And, you know, obviously that didn't go well for them. But I get the impression that next year is a lot of the same, if not more, uh, because even if they wanted to pivot, honestly, these things are kind of locked in, and so takes time. It you know, I think next year is going to be more of the same, regardless of their intentions. And then in twenty twenty four is when we, I think, first start to see any sort of change, if that is actually occurring. And and the problem with all this is, if things sell well in twenty twenty three, then they're going to ignore the Twitter. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're looking like, at their bottom line. They're looking at what's getting... I mean, if they're still having distributors complain about having things stuck at their um, distributing level for and having to fire sale at, you know, 100-whatever per collector booster, I can see them tweaking quantities and things like that pretty easily. I mean, that's something you can tweak 
more yep. quickly um, and, and not be, I mean, obviously it affects your bottom line, but you have to keep your distributors happy. You got to do what you got to do. But in terms of product selection and the number of things getting released that I don't, I don't see slowing down one bit, at least in the next year. Agreed. All right, so uh, I guess that's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, my friend? Sure, folks can find me online at Oko Assassin on Twitter, where I try to post about a little bit of paper and a little bit of MTGO. How about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com, my best ideas posts in the ProTrader Discord, and my constant haunting of that Discord as I help our membership out on a day-to-day basis. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, $79.99 if you don't want group buys. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of new, nerdy, cool stuff in stock, including all the best Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5 during checkout, at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. James, that brings us to the end of another episode. As always, enjoyed our discussion this evening. Thank you, Derek, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. 